So tonight, we are wrapping up our series, IDK, Understanding God's Will for Your Life. And I have absolutely loved this series. I don't know that I can remember a series that I've loved writing or preaching more than this. Uh, Talking about God's will for our lives, I think, is really fun. And I hope it's been enlightening and in so many ways freeing as you begin to understand what it means for God to have a will for your life and what it looks like to walk in it freely rather than anxiously trying to figure out what in the world is going on. I remember when I was in college, it's something, um, these conversations are things that I wished I had learned and heard when I was in college. And tonight, where we are going, I'm really excited about tonight as we wrap up the series. I've, uh, I've loved all the messages, but this one I've kind of had circled on my calendar since we decided what these messages were going to be about. Like, this was the one that I was most excited about. Um, of all the messages um, in the series, um, this is one that I really, really wish I had heard when I was sitting in your seat. And tonight, what we're going to spend a few minutes talking about is what I'm going to call the big three. The big three. Tonight, we're going to talk about God's will for your life as it relates to the big three. And the big three are who you're supposed to marry, hello, uh, what you're supposed to major in or what your job is supposed to be, and where you're supposed to live after college. The big three, who are you going to marry, what's your job going to be, and where are you supposed to live, where are you supposed to go? Massive questions, massive implications. Some of y'all are already like, I already know who I'm going to bury. I just need him to realize it. Uh, uh, but, <laughs> but huge implications for your life. I don't know that there are um, bigger questions that you might be facing or bigger questions that you've thought about. Then there are decisions that you face every single day. And we talked about how to navigate some of those in a way that honors God, um, in a way that allows the Holy Spirit in us to help us practice discernment last week and week two. In fact, um, before I forget, if you have not, if you've missed uh, parts one and two of the series, do yourself a favor and go back to our podcast and catch up on what we've been talking about. But tonight, we're going to talk about the big three as it relates to God's will for your life. And to do so, um, I'm going to do my best impression of, impression of Mythbusters. You guys remember that TV show, Mythbusters? Anybody? Is, that, is this still a thing? Yeah? You said that like it's your favorite show. You got a DVR, don't you? It's a good show. Okay, you like it. I appreciate that. Um, so if you've never seen Mythbusters, Discovery Channel? Yes. Okay. My man over here. Okay. Um, so Mythbusters is a show. These two older gentlemen, um, just kind of crazy and funny. They basically take on these myths and they test them. They, they put them through experiments and then they decide whether or not the myth, they can actually bust the myth and say, hey, actually this isn't true. Or they can confirm it. No, this actually is reality. This is actually true. So they take all of these myths and they put them to the test. And they ultimately, they want to bust them. Like for example, one of the myths that I remember watching was um, if you are like 12 inches underwater, a bullet can't get to you. I'm like, well, I'm not testing that junk, you know? And so they tested that. Um, and so tonight, I want to do my best impression of Mythbusters, and I want to debunk a myth that every single one of us in the room, including myself, at one point or another in our lives, or maybe even now, have believed or fallen to. And this is the myth that I want to debunk tonight the myth of one. The myth of one. The myth of one. The myth of one says this. That there is one person that I'm supposed to marry, and I've got to find that one person. The myth of one says that there is one job and only one job that I have to find, and I've got to get it and get that job. And the myth of one says, and there is one place, one beautiful little house, one beautiful little apartment, and that is where I am supposed to live if I want to be in God's will for my life. The myth of one 
The myth of one goes a little something like this, that if I do not find the one person that God wants me to marry, I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. If I don't find that one person that is made for me that I am most compatible with, like if I don't find the one that God has set aside and put on layaway for me, if I don't find him, if I don't find her, then my marriage is going to be a disaster. The myth of one says, if I do not pick that right major, like if I don't, if I don't pick the perfect major, the one that God wants me to pick, then I'm never going to be able to get a job that satisfies me. Like if I don't find that perfect job, if I don't say yes to that perfect job, then I'm going to hate my life nine to five, five days out of the week. I'm going to hate it. And the myth of one says, man, if I, don't, if I don't move to the right place, if I don't make the right decision as to what I pursue or what opportunity or what city I move to or whether I go back home or stay where I am or go back to where I'm supposed to go or go follow that job, like if I don't go to the right place, I'm not going to run into the right people. I'm not going to find the right job and my life is going to be miserable. The myth of one that of all of these big decisions, there is one place, one job, one person, and it is God's will for your life to find that one person. And so you and I try to find that one person, or we try to figure out that one job, or we try to figure out where that one place is. Kind of the myth of one, ultimately what it tells us, and the, the biggest fear of it, is that we can decide our way out of God's will for our lives. The myth of one says that we can decide our way out of God's will for our lives. Because if I don't pick the right one, then I've picked the wrong one, and that can't be God's will. That if I, if I pick the wrong job, then I am in the wrong job. If I don't pick the right one, then I've obviously picked the wrong one. And if I don't pick the right one, then I'm not in God's will. Therefore, I've decided my way out of God's will for my life, is what the myth of one says. It's what that idea does in our minds and in our hearts. And I don't know if anyone ever been paralyzed by a decision because you had so many options, you know? It's my life every time I go to the cereal aisle at Publix. Every time, you know? Do I be healthy, go special K? Do I be adult, go raisin bran? Or do I go back to my childhood and get tricks? You know, like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? It's all over the place, you know? Um, Netflix, like whenever you finish a show, it's so stressful. It's like, crap, what do we do now? I don't know, you know? Do you, want to, do you want to pick? I don't know. Should we text somebody? I don't know. Google the top shelves. How do you decide what's next? There's so many options. I don't know. You know? Um, so oftentimes we can be paralyzed because there are so many options in front of us. We can be paralyzed because there are so many options um, and we don't know which one is best. We don't know which one is right. Well, call me crazy. But when it comes to who you might marry, there's a lot of options just in this room, you know. I don't know if any of you would be interested in, but there are a lot of options, you know. What you can major in and what your job might be. There's a lot of options. Where you could live. I mean, where do we go? I have no idea. I've got some ideas, but I don't really know. Endless options. And so often we can become paralyzed because there are so many options. And it's terrifying because we don't want to choose wrong. In fact, this is interesting. The word decision, the word decision, the Latin root of that word means to cut off. To cut off. It's literally what it means. So when you are deciding, you are cutting off other options. I don't want to cut the wrong thing. You all seen the movies where they're like, like trying to disarm the bomb? It's like, oh my gosh, which one do I cut? The red, blue, or white? I don't know. They always get it right because it's the movies. But I don't want to cut the wrong option off. Because when you're deciding, that's what we're doing. We're deciding A, so we're cutting off B and C. Oh my goodness, but what if I cut off? What if, what if B isn't the one that I should have cut off? What if I shouldn't have cut off C? 
We're terrified to cut off the wrong thing. What if I cut off the wrong option? What if I cut off the wrong relationship? What if I cut off the wrong person? What if I cut off the wrong uh, job interview? What if I cut off someone that I didn't even meet yet because I said yes to this person? It's terrifying. Because it's so true, the grass is always greener on the other side. And if we say yes to A, we're always thinking, well, maybe B was better. We say yes to A, and we're imagining a C or a D or an E that we don't even know yet, but it might be better, and so I'm terrified to commit to B or to A. What if I cut off the wrong option? So what do we do with the myth of one? Well, I want to spend a few minutes today um, looking at what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Because what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 will begin to give us an idea of the lens and the perspective through which we can look at these three big decisions in our lives and these three big things that will be coming up at some point in our future and how we can look at them through the lens of God's will for our lives. Um, And a little bit of context where we're going to be spending in Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, he uses this language a lot throughout the New Testament, but he talks about the old self and the new self. The old self and the new self. Um, and, and when he talks about the old self and the new self, here's what he means is that the old self is the Samer before Jesus. Um, that the, the old self is the Samer that um, was uninterested in the ways of God, um, uninterested in pursuing Jesus, um, uninterested in anything but, hey, the things that make me happy. Um, and then the new self, no, the new self has a brand new perspective because the new self, the new self has centered his life on Jesus. And so the old self is before Jesus. Our mindset was on earthly things. Um, We didn't really have any reason to look beyond earthly things. But the new self is redeemed by Jesus, is made new by Jesus, that when Jesus enters your life, the Apostle Paul said, the only thing I can think to say is that there was old and now there is completely brand new. Not duct taped up, not, you know, a little bit of super glue, but old and completely brand new. And so when we are made new, um, our priorities change. When Jesus becomes the center of our lives, um, the, the, the way that we see the world changes. The, the lens through which we see the world changes. The way that we treat people changes. And the pursuit with which we seek to honor God with our lives changes. And so in Colossians chapter 3, he's encouraging these Christians that he's writing to Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to his friends and he's saying, hey, listen, um, because you've been made new in Jesus, because the old is gone and the new is here, don't live in your old ways. I want you to live and practice in what the newness that Jesus brought, in the way that you treat people, in the way that you seek God, in the way that you honor God with the way that you live. And so it is within that context that the Apostle Paul lands on this massive idea in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And this is what he writes. He says, in whatever you do, in whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love this. He says, in whatever you do, whatever, he casts this wide, wide net. He says, in word and or deed, that idea using word and deed is meant to encompass Anything and everything you or I might do in our lives. That it's, this, it's this, 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 this grammatical tool to basically say anything that you might do, anything that you might be a part of, anything that you might be experiencing, any job that you might have, anywhere that you might live, anyone that you might date, literally anything that you might do in word and or deed, in anything that you might do, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to do it in the name of Jesus. What the Apostle Paul immediately does here is he does something fascinating. 
that he, he, for, the, for the Jesus follower, there's no such thing as secular versus sacred. Like I'm in the secular world, like kind of apart from Jesus, and now I'm doing the sacred thing for Jesus. No, he says that no matter who you are as a Jesus follower, whatever you do, it is all sacred. Whatever you are part of, whatever you are doing, it is all sacred. Why? Because we are to do all of it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God. In other words, we are to do whatever it is that we are doing in a way that glorifies God. We are to do whatever it is that we are doing in a way that makes much of the name of Jesus, shines the light of Jesus, and shows people the name of Jesus. In whatever you do, he says, do so in a way that honors and glorifies your Father in heaven. You know the problem with the myth of one? Is the myth of one takes God's will for your life as an all or nothing deal. It's either all or nothing. You know, it's like those tests. Um, whenever you get like an open-ended question and you have a teacher that doesn't give you any partial points, even if you got part of the answer right, you know, like the best teachers in the planet are the ones where you do a math problem and they like give you points if you got half of the thing right and it's like, this is where you went wrong. You got partial credit. The worst ones are all or nothing. Like either you get the whole thing right or you get nothing. The problem with the myth of one is it gives us this view of God's will as all or nothing. Either I find the one or I get nothing. I find the one person or I'm miserable with cats. I find the one job or I don't make any money. I find the one location or I'm going to hate where I live. The problem with the myth of one is that it is all or nothing. But what we read about here in Colossians chapter 3 is that the apostle Paul, he said whatever. He wasn't concerned about the what. No, the apostle Paul was more concerned about the how and the why. Yeah, whatever you do, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, whatever you do, that's great. I'm not worried about what you do. I'm not worried about where you go. I'm not worried about who you're with. You know, there's some stipulations. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but in whatever you do, what I'm more concerned about is how you do it and why you do it. Well, how you do it and why you do it, you do it in the name of Jesus. You do it to glorify Jesus. You do whatever you do in a way that shines Jesus, that points other people to Jesus. Paul was more concerned about how and why, not what. So he just says, yeah, in whatever, do it all in the name of Jesus. He was more concerned about how and why. And if I could say it a certain way, what I'm about to say is really cheesy, okay? I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to be cheesy. It's going to sound cheesy, but I don't care, okay? In fact, in fact, we're going to go ahead and get this out of the way so you can't make fun of me or laugh at me. On three, we're just going to say, Samer, that's cheesy. One, two, three. Okay, I understand. I agree with you. Thank you. Get out of the way now. You feel better about yourselves? Okay. Um, what I'm about to say is going to sound cheesy, but I hope it is cheesy enough that you might remember it. Because here I would kind of, how I would kind of sum up this whole idea, and then we're going to look at some practical handles for it is that um, God's will, if we go to the next slide, God's will is not about an all or nothing decision. God's will is about all for him decisions. It's not about all or nothing decision. Like I've got to figure out that one decision and then I'm in God's will. No, no, what the apostle Paul says, it's bigger than that, that what he desires for you and what we should be seeking is not one decision that makes sure we figured out the right thing, but God's will for your life is more about all for him decisions that we make all along the way. In whatever you do, I don't care what, to a degree, in whatever you do, he says, do it all for him. Make decisions that honor him. Make decisions that glorify him. Do it in a way that honors 
Jesus, that glorifies Jesus, that makes the name of Jesus known. And so what might this look like practically for you and for me? Well, I hope this frees some of you up tonight, and I'm really excited to jump in this for the next few minutes, is that God's will for your life, God's will for your life is whatever, whomever, and wherever. God's will for your life is whatever, whomever, and wherever. That as you think about the myth of one, I want you to take that, I want you to throw it out, and we're going to talk about why, because God's will for your life is whatever, whomever, and wherever. God's will is whatever. What do we mean? God's will is whatever. I don't mean that flipping out. God's will is whatever. No. When you think, whatever, God. Every time I like do impressions, I go to like the valley girl voice. I don't know why I do that. Um, It's okay. Um, God's will is whatever. As it relates to your job, as it relates to what you might major in, guess what? God's will for your life is whatever. That for so many of us that we would seek after God so earnestly and anxiously asking, God, what should I major in? God, what should my job be? And I can't help but think that God might be looking down and say, hey, I've actually given you things and instilled things in you that have already, like, you know what you might want to do. I've given you things, passions and desires. I've kind of led you in a direction. I'm not so concerned about what you do. I just want you to do whatever it is that you do do in a way to do. Whatever you decide to do, to do it in a way that glorifies me, that leads people to Jesus, that we would agonize wanting an answer from God. And I think God is saying, hey, well, what do you you want to do? Cool, yeah. You you love that? You got a passion for that? Yeah, go, go do that. Just do it in a way that glorifies me. Do it in a way that points other people to Jesus. Here's a few helpful questions that are worth asking yourself when trying to figure out what God might want you to do. The first one is this. What makes you come alive? Like, what is it that just gets you so excited? What is it that you just can't wait to do? What is it that fuels your passion? Like, what is it that you go to sleep thinking about? What is it that you dream about doing? What is it that makes you come alive? For some of you, what makes you come alive is you love the idea of working with animals and being a veterinarian. Great, guess what? Go be a vet. And be the best vet you can possibly be and be the kind of vet that leads people to Jesus. Be the kind of vet that glorifies Jesus with everything that you do. For some of you, what makes you come alive is you love finance and you love investment banking and you love the stock market and you're like, man, I'm going to Wall Street, homie. I'm like, okay, you go do that and send me money when you get there, right? Like, that's what you want to do. It's what you love. Guess what? Go do that. Go be an investment banker. Go make it to Wall Street, man. I am rooting for you. Don't forget who your college pastor was, though. (laughs) And do it in a way that leads people to Jesus. Do it in a way that shines the light of Jesus. For me, man, I got to a point, I'll be totally transparent with you, I never had this moment where God audibly told me, Samer, you are going into ministry. I don't know why I did that voice. (laughs) I guarantee you, though, God does probably sound like Morgan Freeman. Um, Anyways. (laughs) I never had this moment where it was like, oh, my gosh. God told me to go into ministry. No, man. I just got to a point. I got involved in my church, 
and I had conversations with people, and I'll tell you about that in just a little bit. And I got to a point where I knew that there was nothing else that I could possibly do with my life. That there was nothing that made me come alive and excited more than being a part specifically of God moving in the context of the local church. Did God call me? Depends on what you mean by call. Did he instill in me this thing that made me come alive whenever I got the idea of stepping into the local church ministry? Yeah, if that's what you mean by call, yeah, he called me. If it was God somehow told me magically through the pages of scripture, no, it happened. But it makes me come alive and I can't imagine doing anything else. So go do that, but do it in a way that points people to Jesus. Here's another question. Ask yourself, what am I good at? Like, like what are you gifted in? What are you talented? What do you have natural inclination? Excuse me. What do you have natural inclinations for? Like, what is it that you just always been better at than people? Like, what are you good at? You know, like some of you guys are really, really good at teaching people things. Like, you are patient and you are so good at taking complex concepts and making them simple and think maybe I should be a teacher. Yeah, great. Take that. Go be a teacher. And go be the best fifth grade teacher those fifth graders have ever seen. Go be the best 10th grade teacher. Go be the best teacher ever and do so in a way that leads people to Jesus. For some of you, you're like, man, I'm really good at cooking. People love to come to your apartment because you make three-course meals and you make creme brulee for dessert. Like, you go all out. And you're actually really good. You don't do box cake, homie. You do it from scratch. And you're thinking, I'm really good at this. I want to be a chef. Go be a chef. Go be a chef, man. Get you a Michelin star. Get you two. If you don't know what that is, you need to get more cultured. But go, <laughs> go be a chef and go be the best chef that you can possibly be. Go be a chef that shines the light of Jesus. Go be a chef that cooks the most amazing food. Go do it excellently. Do it in a way that glorifies God and points people to Jesus, what are you good at? Lean into that. We want to hear from God. God, what should I do? And I, I, sometimes I feel like he's saying, hello, I'm the one that made you good at cooking. What else do you want from me? Go be a chef. Like that was me. It was not an accident. I made you good at cooking. I gave you that ability. I gave you that talent. So go use it in this world in a way that glorifies me. For some of you, um, here's another great question. What do others affirm in me? We all have that friend that thinks they're good at something and nobody else thinks it, <laughs> you know? Don't be that person. Um, but what do other people affirm in me? Like, what do other people encourage me in? What do other people say, hey, you're really good at that. Hey, have you ever thought about, hey, you're really good. Take that in. And I don't mean like get arrogant about it and get a big head, but listen to what people say because they're pointing out something in you that God gifted you to do. They are calling out something in you that God put in you. Now, I'll never forget, excuse me, um, I never thought, you know, growing up that I was going to be like a preacher and a pastor, you know. I tried to, to dodge it at every which way, I almost, I feel like. But anytime I got to kind of do any kind of public speaking growing up, I would hear from people, hey, you're, you're pretty good at that. I was like, oh, well, thanks, thanks. I'd give some kind of presentation in school, and I'd always get from my professor or my teachers, hey, you're, you're, you're pretty good at that. I was always a naturally, kind of naturally led things. I liked to lead things. I was always the captain of the soccer team. I always kind of was the, the annoying leader on the group project that told people what to do. Uh, like, that just was always kind of a natural thing in me. And I'll never forget, I was um, in England my senior year on a mission trip. 
And my youth pastor at the time, his name is Brent Shoemaker, and he's still a good friend and a mentor of mine today. We were walking through the streets of Hartford, Hartfordshire, actually, in England. And he looked at me. I never heard this before. And he said, hey, Samuel, have you ever thought about going into ministry? I said, no. Why? He goes, because you're a leader, and you've got a lot of potential. I think God could do something massive in you and through you. I was never able to shake it. It was the first time anyone saw something like that in me and said it out loud, and I thought, huh. And I was never able to shake it. When I was in college, I was a finance major, so I had to take some marketing classes. And I got up there, and I gave a presentation once. It was the first time in this morning class I gave a presentation, and I crushed it. Um, <laughs> none of them knew that I, like, regularly spoke at church and stuff, so they just thought, who is this scrub? And I'm like, oh, he's really good. And I remember my first prof- professor was like, hey, that was, that, was, that was really impressive presentation. I was like, well, thanks. And he was like, you're going into marketing, right? And I was kind of like embarrassed, like, ah, I don't know I'm going into marketing. I think I'm actually going to go into ministry. And I'll never forget, he goes, oh, no, you're going into marketing. You're just selling a higher product, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was like, okay, huh, okay, that'll preach, man. Okay, yeah, that was good. He's probably a Christian. Um, <laughs> But what do people affirm in you? Like, what are they saying that you are good at? Lean into that. There's something there for you to hold on to. There's something there for you to pursue. There's something there that God is trying to tell you. And then the last one, ask yourself, what am I willing to sacrifice for? Because whatever it is that you pursue, whatever it is you end up doing, whatever it is you end up going after, you're going to have to sacrifice something. You have to sacrifice time. You have to sacrifice money. You're going to um, have to do some training. You're going to have to maybe do some extra schooling after college even is over. I went into um, college and I was a pre-med major for one semester because I thought that's what would make my dad proud. Um, I did one semester of chemistry. Your boy was out. Like it was, it was a disaster. It was so bad. And I was like, man, I'm not doing this. I'm like, I'm not, like, I'm not sacrificing. Like, I, this is not, like, I cannot do this. I will not do this. This is ridiculous. But what I did do, what it looked like for me, man, after college, um, I went to graduate school. I went to seminary, four-year master degree. And I learned more about the Bible and theology than anybody ever really, really want to know. I read thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. I'm not joking. I kind of wanted to go back and add it up. Thousands of pages, even in one semester, I wrote thousands of pages of papers I mean, so many papers. Studying was a part-time job for me, but the reason why I did it and the reason why I gave it everything that I had was because I knew that this is what God wanted me to do and I was willing to sacrifice for it. So what are you willing to sacrifice for? What are you willing to put skin in the game for? Guess what? God's trying to tell you something and it's not this crazy audible voice. No, no, it is God leading you in ways that maybe you've never known or thought to listen for. So man, God's will is whatever. What do you want to do? What are you passionate about? What do you, go do it. And, and this is just a quick side note. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you have to go into ministry. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you have to work in a church. I talk to some people all the time, you know, and they're like, yeah, I definitely want to go into ministry. And I'm like, that's great. And I hope you do. And that's awesome. But I've also met some students and college students who almost feel like obligated to go into ministry. Like, ah, oh, I feel like this is what I should do. No, maybe not. Because let me just tell you, if you want to go into ministry, that's awesome, and I want you to go into ministry. But just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you need to. 
If I'm being totally honest, we need more doctors, and we need more businesswomen, and we need more engineers, and we need more restaurant owners, and we need more technicians, and we need more nurses, and we need more stay-at-home dads and stay-at-home moms, and we need more businessmen and bankers who are willing to go into the marketplace and shine the light of Jesus than we do more people in ministry. We need people that are going to go into the workplace and go into the marketplace and go into the store and go into the office and work and lead in a way that shines the light of Jesus, that leads people to Jesus. So God's will is whatever in the best possible way. How about this one? God's will is whomever. This is a fun one. Y'all ready, aren't you? Yeah. Go ahead, Sam. Tell me if she's sitting next to me. How many of y'all believe that there's a, don't raise your hand, that there's a, don't, 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 don't do it, that you have a soulmate, and there, I saw you, Matt, put your hand down, that, that, that there's a, there's the one for you, and you, that, and they, they, they're, they're a perfect match, like totally compatible with you, and there's only one. Let me just tell you, that's great in movies and all, you know? And the notebook, and Noah and Allie, which he wasn't even the one, he just stubbornly loved that girl, and it worked out for him. It's great in romantic comedies and the idea, and it sounds so awesome, like, yeah, there's a one, and oh my gosh, you're my soulmate. It doesn't exist. There is no such thing as the one. There is no such thing as your soulmate, and it's only one person. Have you ever played this out logically? Just think about it. If one person marries the wrong person, they've ruined it for everybody. <laughs> Have you thought about that? Like, there's just no way it makes any sense. One person ruins it for everybody. I mean, think about it. Like, you've got Mary over here who married Joseph, but Joseph is upset because he's not happy with Mary because really he should have married Jennifer, but Jennifer's over here in tears because she's hanging out with Jack. And Jack, well, we all should have known that he should have ended up with Carrie, but Carrie over here is getting all flirty with Michael. And Michael, well, he's never been happy because Jennifer, the first Jennifer, he was the one she was supposed to marry. But then all we know is Jennifer decided to find out with this guy named Jack. I mean, come on, people. There's no way. That's not how it works. There's not just one. It doesn't make any sense. It's not how God operates. It's not how God ever intended for relationships like that to work. So not only does it work logically, but you know what else the one does? It very quickly becomes an excuse for you and for me. And it could become an excuse for you and for me because the second things get difficult, uh, they must have not been the one. The second we get in a fight, Ooh, they must not have been the one. The second um, he or she is mean to you because you get in an argument, uh, they must not have been the one. Whenever a relationship gets difficult and rocky and tricky, well, they must not have been the one. Very, very quickly, it actually becomes an excuse. And that isn't true because relationships are hard. Relationships are risky. Relationships, there's conflict. Relationships, there's no such thing as perfect compatibility because there's this thing called sacrifice in marriage. And that's why the kind of love that you're supposed to show your spouse is sacrificial love where you're putting their interests before your own. The one becomes an excuse. I love what my wife says, Julie. Um, she says that you get your one 
whenever you say, I do. That's when you find your one. You want to find your one? When you say, I do. That's your one. That's your one. And not because it was the only one, but now you've got a one because you said, I do. Guys, I love my wife with all of my heart. I don't want to be married to anybody else. I can't imagine doing life with anybody else. Like, I don't want to do life with them. I love her with every fiber in my being. But she's not the only one that I could have married. She's not the only one I could have been married and been happy. And I'm certain, God knows, I'm certainly not the only one she could have married and been happy with. <laughs> but it's who I ended up with. And did God know that that's who I was going to marry? Yes, he knew. And I don't know how it all works. I don't know how God's sovereignty works with our free will. Did he know that that's who I was going to ultimately marry? Yes, he knew that. And in a way that I don't understand, he wanted me to marry her. But did he tell me? No. Was he like one day, hey, Sam, listen, when you walk onto campus, listen, bro, it's going to be this white dove, sparkly. <laughs> and it's going to fly down, and it's going to land on this short little brunette's shoulders. She's the one. <laughs> Go ask her out. Trust me. No, that didn't happen. In fact, you know what did happen with me and Julie? I'll never forget. I found out that she was interested, and I was definitely interested, but I was nervous. I was nervous to ask her out. I was like, man, like, I don't know. Like, what if it, we have mutual friends? Like, what if it gets, like, I'm doing all the dumb guy excuses. Like, what if it gets weird if it doesn't work? Dumbest reason ever not to ask somebody out. You know, we're like, I don't know. Like, what if it gets awkward? And then I thought, man, she's pretty amazing. Like, what if this thing actually ends in marriage? Like, what if this is the last person I ever date? Well, that's terrifying. I don't know. Should I ask her? I remember, I mean, I wouldn't put earbuds in, put worship music on, like the lamest Christian ever, and walked, took a walk, and prayed about it. What was I doing? And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about stuff like that. But the reason I was praying was so ridiculous. And I remember getting on the phone with my buddy, Ben Ramsey, one of my best friends in the whole wide world. And I was telling him about this. I was like, man, I don't, I don't know. Like, if I should ask her out, like, I, like, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm trying to, I don't, I don't know. And he goes, Samuel, let me just ask you three questions. I said, okay. I'll never forget this. He said, um, does Julie love Jesus? I was like, yeah. He was okay. Are you attracted to her? I was like, yeah. And he was like, do you enjoy spending time with her? I was like, yeah. And he goes, then shut up and ask her out. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Just ask her out. I'm not asking her to marry me. I'm asking her on a date. I'm just asking her out to get to know her. My goodness, I wish Christians would go on more healthy dates. We are so afraid to date. And I don't mean like serial dating and like being that person, but I mean like, guys, if you are interested in a girl, if we can just, Christian guys specifically, maybe man up for a second and maybe ask a girl out on a date. Like if you're interested, don't play games, right? Ask her to coffee. Ask her to lunch. Worst case, she says no and you move on with your life. Best case, she says yes. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, ask her on a date. Get to know her. We agonize over, ooh, I gotta find out if they're the one. How do you know? You don't. Because you don't know anything about her. You don't know anything about him. That's why you date. That when you date, we should not be looking for the one. That's not how you date. In fact, what you should really be doing is focus on becoming the one, but I'm gonna save that for our dating series that's coming up here in a couple of weeks. But when you, yeah, already. <laughs> I need to stop, I'm gonna start preaching about that right now. But what you should be looking for in somebody else when, when, when you're dating is not whether or not they're the one. No, you should be looking for character and chemistry. I love this. 
Character and chemistry. I'm reading a book by Ben Stewart, and this is what he said. Character and chemistry. This is what you should look for, character and chemistry. Like, this is what you should look for in them. Their character, like their integrity, their values. Does it line up with you? Are they following Jesus? I'm not saying um, that you should never have any relationship with people that don't have the same belief as you, but let me just be totally honest about this and transparent for both sides. Like, if you don't believe in Jesus, it's going to be really hard for you to date somebody that does. And if you don't believe in Jesus, it's going to be really unhealthy for you to date somebody who doesn't. So character, do you guys line up on the same values? Are you running the same journey? Are you on the same path? Is there integrity? Find out. How do they treat you? Find out. How do they treat their mom? Ladies, it's a good way to find out how they're going to treat you later. But find out about the character. And then chemistry. Do you enjoy hanging out with them? Are you attracted to them? I've got to be careful how I say this. I was talking to one guy when I was in seminary, and he was talking about his girlfriend. And he was like, yeah, man, like, we're just so, like, about Jesus. Like, I don't, like, I just see Jesus in her, and, like, I don't even, like, see her beauty anymore. I was like, what are you? I was like, what? He's like, yeah, like, I don't even, like, struggle, like, physically. Like, I never want to kiss her. I'm like, What? I was about to die. Like, I'm glad you're not struggling physically, but, but what? Are you crazy? Break up with her right now. <laughs> Christians can be crazy sometimes. And chemistry has got to be there. Like, are you attracted to them? Do you enjoy hanging out with them? Like, is conversation flowing? Is it easy? If you're on date number five and you're nervous about what you're going to talk about because the last time y'all talked about nothing, I'm not saying you can't sit there in silence. A lot of the best couples can, but I mean, chemistry, it's a real thing. And you should be looking for both, character and chemistry, character and chemistry. And until you go on some dates, you're not going to know. I'll never forget, man, my sister, she called me when I was in seminary one night, and um, my, my oldest sister, and she called me crying. I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, well, this guy that I've been talking to, I'm not going to say his name in case he ever listens to this podcast. And she was like, um, he ended things. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, it didn't work out. And I was like, what did he say? And she said, well, he just wanted to take some time off from dating. Um, and they had only gone on one date, by the way. Um, <laughs> he said uh, he wanted to take some time off because he wanted to seek the Lord to see that if I was going to be his wife. Y'all should have heard the things that I said through that cell phone. Like, are you joking me? Are you joking? How do you know, you who I will not name? How did you know? Because if you had any common sense, you'd know that my sister is way out of your league, and you missed out, homie, but you had no idea. Because you didn't take her on a date. You had no idea. You were asking God to reveal something to you that God's like, What? Get to know her. She dodged a bullet. Like, how are you supposed to know? And I'm not saying you should never pray about your relationships and seek wisdom and ask the Lord. But come on, like God gave us this gift, this thing, this thing called dating, this social gift, and we're looking for character and chemistry. And as it relates to what it looks like that God's will is whomever, there is not a one. But man, if you would date in a way that honors God, 
If you would date in a way that reflects the heart of Jesus, that you would honor the other person, that you would love the other person, that when things aren't working out, you would be honest about it and just end the relationship and things can be okay. If you respect the other person, if you seek to model Jesus to the other person, that if we would date in a way that honors God, man, you're going to find whomever it is that you end up wanting to be with one day. God's will is whomever. There isn't a one. And let me just tell you this too, that when you do, for some of you, for most of you probably get married one day, um, you need to know this, that not every day is going to be easy and not every day is going to be all happy. No, because love is a choice. And every single day you are gonna make a choice to love that person because they've become your one, not because they were the only one, but because you said, I do. So God's will is whomever but let's date in a way that honors Jesus and let's respect and honor each other in a way that reflects the love of Jesus. And then the last one, God's will is wherever. I love this. God's love is wherever, or God's love, that's true. But God's will is wherever. God, where do you want me to go? Do you want me to take this job? Do you want me to go to that job? God, do you want me to go to San Francisco? God, do you want me to go stay in Atlanta? God, you're going to move back home. God, there's this job in Chattanooga. God, I don't know. There's something happening in Indianapolis. I don't know. Where do you want me to go? Oftentimes, you know what we want from God? We want this burning bush moment like Moses had where there's this burning bush, and then the burning bush told Moses exactly what to do. There are times in your life, and it is the grace of God when it happens, when God is clearly opening doors and opportunities are coming and things are just happening and it is clear that God is leading you somewhere to a certain place. But what I found in my life and from the people that I do life with, oftentimes it's not a burning bush moment, but it looks a little bit more like God saying, okay, Atlanta or Dallas, what do you want to do? I'll be with you wherever you go. San Francisco or Kennesaw? Where are you gonna go? I'll be with you wherever you go. You're gonna study abroad at Costa Rica or you wanna, you wanna stay here? What, what do you wanna do? I will be with you wherever you go. When I look at my life and the places that I've been, I'm a homebody. I didn't wanna leave home to go to college. I wanted to stay at KCU with my friends. And I got into UGA and I'm pretty sure the only reason I did is because I'm Arabic and they're trying to diversify. Like I got in real late, okay, real late. <laughs> I got in, and, and I, I talked to my friends and my family. I was like, okay, I, I think this is what I should do. And I hated going, but I knew that that's where I should go. I just felt like that's where I should go. So, man, I went. Did God tell me to go to Athens? No. But, man, did he do an unbelievable thing in my heart in Athens because I said, hey, I'm going to do the best that I can to follow you, Jesus. I started serving at a church, Athens Church. I served for two years, and I interned there for two years. And there's when God started working in my heart and showing me, hey, you need to go into ministry. Like, this is, this is what's making you come alive more than anything. And then after Athens, I was trying to figure out, okay, do I come back home? Had a couple job offers um, in Kennesaw. Had a job offer from a church in Colorado. Or I could go to Dallas to continue doing school and seminary. And I was trying to figure out what to do. And I prayed about it. God wasn't very clear. But you know what was very clear? This conversation I had with my boss at the time. His name was Charles. And he looked at me and said, Samer, you're young opportunities are going to come later. You need to go focus on working and preparing your heart and your mind for ministry. Man, did God tell me with an audible voice? No, but he spoke right through Charles that day. And I went out to Dallas. 
I went out to Dallas, and that's when I started dating Julie, and I got my master's degree, and I finally got to come back home, and I'm standing here before you, and I can't imagine doing anything else other than leading this ministry with you and along the people that I get to do it with. And I look back at my life, and I see the moments where God was clearly leading God was doing his thing. Like, I look back and I see how God took me from here to there and from here. In the moment, did I know it as that no? Did I trust that his hand was working? Yes, but now I look back and I see what he did. So wherever you go, wherever you are, seek to live in a way that honors Jesus. Seek to live in a way that makes the love of Jesus known. Seek to live in a way where you are giving Jesus everything that you have. And if that's what you are doing, man, and you don't know for sure, and maybe you really, it's a 50-50 toss-up, go with your gut. If there's no inkling either way, wherever you go, God's will is wherever, as long as you go, and wherever you go, and wherever you are, that city, or that town, or that apartment complex gets a little bit brighter because of the light of Jesus that is shining through you. God's will for your life is whatever, whomever, and wherever And I hope that frees you up in the best possible way. And actually, real quick, I want you to to know this about God's will is wherever, before I forget, because I did. Where you are isn't as important as who you are where you are. That where you are isn't as important as who you are and who you choose to be where you are. That's what I love about this whatever, whomever, and wherever idea is that you're going to be able to look back one day on your life in different seasons and you're going to be able to say oh my gosh that was God working that wasn't a coincidence oh man that conversation oh wow that was God that was God doing his thing that was God leading me oh my goodness I see it I see it I see it in the moment we might not see but one day we're going to be able to look back And we're going to see God moving. Here's what we can be confident about God, that he's big and that his providential hand is always working and leading, even if it doesn't seem clear to us and even if we don't get that voice. But he is doing what he ultimately wants to do. He's going to take you where he wants to take you. He's going to bring you who he wants to bring you. And he's going to do in you and through you whatever he wants to do in you and through you. And so if that's true, what if we just remembered the passions that are in you, he gave you. The talents that you have, he gave you. The gifts, he gave you. The people he's brought into your life, he gave you. That amazing girlfriend that is way out of your league, he gave you. So what if we stopped agonizing over what the specific will is? And in the realm of doing all things in the name of Jesus, we believe that God's will is whatever, whomever, wherever. So come on, let's start walking confidently. Let's start deciding confidently. Let's seek wisdom. Let's trust God. But just remember that if you are living your life in a way to bring glory to Jesus, wherever you find yourself, whomever you find yourself with, and whatever you find yourself doing, you can be confident beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are right in the middle of God's will for your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for that freedom and thank you for that truth. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you guide us in ways that we don't even fully understand. Thank you that you guide us in ways that we don't ever fully get, but thank you that you do guide us. Um, 
I pray, Father, that, um, that you would free students tonight from this idea that there is this one person, this one job, this one place, that you're bigger than that, that we can't decide our way out of your will. Like, you're just too big for that. So, Father, I pray that we would learn to trust you more. I pray that we would learn to seek you more. I pray that we would learn to um, hear your wisdom and to practice your discernment as you take us wherever it is you want to take us and do whatever it is you want to do in us and through us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.